0: Well, praise the Lord. We are into our third week of our study of the gospel of Mark. And we've mentioned before that Mark's gospel was written to Roman believers. And is thought to be from Peter's perspective. Mark was thought to be Peter's translator and Peter's note taker. So as Mark's writing, we're getting it from Peter's point of view. Now we have started out showing that the gospel is focused on Jesus being a servant more than a teacher or a prophet. The Romans wanted to see physically what God was doing rather than hearing what God was doing. They'd be more interested in what Jesus did rather than what he taught. The first week showed us that who he is, who is this servant from God. first week was he is the Messiah, the one that God was sending. Last week we showed that not only was he the Messiah, but he also had God's authority to do great works in the world. He had authority to begin to call out those who would be his disciples and he uh, had authority over the demonic realm. He cast out demons to the utter amazement and the astonishment of onlookers. And today we're going to talk about how Jesus is a servant with sympathy. How many of you feel like you are a sympathetic person? Nobody here is sympathetic. All the women should raise their hands and all the guys should say, "Eh, I don't know. we should have Jesus' sympathy with people. Mark 1 29 says, After Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, they went over to Simon and Andrew's house, and James and John were with them. Now, another example why they think it's from Peter's perspective is because this was at Peter's house, and Peter's house was real close to the synagogue. Uh, his mother in law was there, so this was, you know, kind of close to the situation, so they kind of figure it's Peter's. Peter's perspective. And here's a good illustration of that. Peter left the synagogue, but he took Jesus with him. I never knew, thought about that before. How many have read a passage and never think about it, and then one time you read it, and it's like, okay. Jesus, or Peter left the synagogue, and he could have went home by himself. But he took Jesus with him. I saw one come here who said this. When we leave the physical building of the church we take Jesus with us? Or do we kind of leave him here? We did our duty and Jesus is good in church, but once I leave, he's staying here. Unlike the Old Testament, this building is not the church, right? It's a building. Who's the church? We're, we're the church. There's a church back home that had the, on their marquee that says, the church of God meets here which is true, which is biblically true because it's the building that the church meets in. And so when Peter left, he takes Jesus with him. When we leave here, do we meet with Jesus only on Sunday or Wednesday night? Or do we only hang out with Jesus while we're at church? Or do we take him everywhere we go? And this kind of ties into our lesson on Wednesday night. Are you two different people? Are you a different person in church than you are at work or out in the world. Would people know you're a Christian, no matter where you were? We should be the same person here and elsewhere. If we have to change our attitude and our lifestyle and our actions, our lesson on Wednesday night says you might want to examine where you are because we should be the same person here that we are anywhere else. When we walk with the Lord all the time, it's in these times that God may do something extraordinary in your life. It may not be in church when God does it. It may be during your prayer time. It may be while you're out driving in your car. As you either sing to worship songs or listen to preaching on the radio, maybe God speaks to you at that moment. And if you're not attuned to that, you may miss what God's gonna do. Now, Peter's mother-in-law wasn't at the temple. And if Peter didn't bring Jesus with him, would his mother-in-law have been healed? If we only meet with Jesus and only trust Jesus in church, what's gonna happen when you're out in the world and something arises that you need God to work in? Notice that Jesus did his ministry, his healing at their house. They didn't bring her to the church or the synagogue. He went to their house. I wrote down the question Do you believe that God can do stuff outside of these four walls? (laughs) Or is He only combined, He's only restricted to being here? Well, we're only here about, what, three hours a week, Wednesdays and Sundays. There's a whole bunch of time that we're not here, that Jesus better be with us no matter where we go. Jesus is also not, what's the word? He's not forceful. Jesus doesn't go where he's not invited. If Peter didn't invite Jesus to the house, Jesus wouldn't have gone. We have to invite Jesus to go with us. We have to wake up every morning with a conscious acknowledgement that when we're leaving our house, we're taking Jesus with us. And we do that by the time we pray and hopefully read our Bible sometime during the day. Jesus is also not going to come into your life in problems if you don't ask him to. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. How many of you, when you pray, you feel like, well, this, this isn't worth asking Jesus about? This decision, this choice, this need. Maybe you think like, well, this is a small need. I can handle that. I'm only going to go to Jesus with the big things. But the Bible says we should consult Jesus with everything. And we need to have him come in in every situation. If we only have him come in in the big times, what's going to happen in in between? Are you going to walk away or is your life going to go kind of, as we said on Wednesday night, second chair? Mark one thirty says, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. He went to her bedside and as he took her by the hand and helped her to sit up, The fever suddenly left and she got up and prepared a meal for them. Notice it doesn't ask or doesn't say that they asked him to heal her. They just told him about her sickness and he went anyways. Jesus took the initiative and went to her because he had compassion and sympathy for her. Maybe they didn't think that Jesus would do it. Maybe they thought, well, I don't want to bother Jesus. The disciples were good at that. Every time the kids would come up, they said, get away. Maybe they thought this was just an interruption. It was just his older mother-in-law. Maybe Jesus didn't have time. Maybe Peter was apologetic to Jesus. Amen, I'm sorry, my mother-in-law is sick. I didn't mean to bring you into this infected house. I'm sorry, there's no food, Lord. My mother-in-law is sick, so no one's here to cook food for you. Sorry, Lord, I didn't bring you just to heal somebody. I know you're a busy guy. I didn't bring you here for healing. I just brought you here for fellowship. Or maybe they brought him there for that exact purpose. It doesn't say. Because they told him about her right away, hoping that Jesus would do something. It doesn't tell us why she had a fever or what sickness she had, but it does say that Jesus wasn't worried about getting sick, (laughs) He took her by the hand. Now, I put in my notes here, and he didn't use hand sanitizer when he did it. (laughs) Nor did he have a mask on when he did it. Reached over, took her by the hand. Her sick, she was sick, had a fever. I'm guessing she's probably coughing in her hand. Took her by the hand, sat her up. Sometimes we need to physically interact with people because there is power in human touch. There was a survey done years ago, I remember reading about it. In the Soviet Union, there was a lot of orphans at one point when it was the Soviet Union. And these orphans were raised in orphanages. And they supplied these babies with everything they physically needed, you know, food, water, nourishment. They did all that stuff for them, but they didn't interact with them physically. It was more of a, here's your food. You're, you're taken care of mechanically. Your body's taken care of. You had a place to live, a place to sleep, food to eat. But they didn't bond with them at all. And it shows how slow they were in progressing to become adulthood because of the lack of human interaction. They had everything they needed physically except people, except someone to bond with them, to love them, and to hold them. There is something in touch that ministers to people. And as soon as she sat up, the Bible says she was healed instantly. Now, if you've ever had a bad fever, and you know the body aches that come with that fever, and when that fever finally breaks, you're not really ready to get up out of bed. Something I said. I get that reaction a lot, people crying when they leave When you're just getting over a fever, usually it's a cold sweat and the fever's gone and you just want to lay in bed for a couple of days, recouping. But the Bible says that she was healed to the point where she just got up right away. Instantly healed. And made them dinner. Jesus healed all of it instantly. How many of you pray for people for God to heal you instantly? Instantly. Sometimes God does not instantly. Sometimes it's a progress. Sometimes it's a long progress. But we still pray and Jesus still does heal. Now, what was her response to being healed? Verse 31. Fever suddenly left and she got up and prepared a meal for them. What was her reaction? She served the Lord. Now, she could have stayed in bed and said, Lord, thanks for healing me uh, Peter's, whatever Peter's wife's name was, why don't you go make them something to eat while I finish? But she didn't. She instantly got up and started serving Jesus. I wrote down here, we've all received blessings from the Lord. So every one of us should have the same mindset of wanting to serve the Lord. If you're here, you've already received the blessing. You're not sick. You made it here without having a car accident. You made it here because God wants you to be here. You have a place to live. You have a place to sleep. You have a place, food to eat. We've all received God's blessings. Because of that, we should have an attitude of wanting to thank God by serving him. Now this woman, this mother-in-law could have said, hey, thanks for the healing, but I got other things I, I got to catch up on now. I got to go over here and fix that and do this. All the stuff I didn't do when I was sick, I got to do that first. Why don't you guys figure out lunch for yourself? We all have things in our lives that are important and need to be done. But our first thought would be, how do I serve the Lord in all of these things? How can I serve the Lord today? What can I do today that shows me serving Jesus? And I've told you before, I want to pray first in the morning when I get here. When I pray first. If I don't pray first, I'll never have time to do it at the end of the day. There's a 1,000 things to do when you come into work. And if I start doing them, I'll keep doing them until 5 o'clock, and I'll have no time to pray. So you pray first. God will give you the time to finish all the other stuff. It's like tithing. How does 90% of your income go further than 100%? I'm an accountant. I can't tell you, but it does. It does. And so if you give God your first time, he'll allow you the time to finish what you need to finish. Now, what happened because of these few events? The demon deliverance of the temple and the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Verse 32 says, that evening at sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. Now remember, it's, it's the Sabbath originally. Sunset was the beginning of a new day. So technically, it was no longer the Sabbath. All the people felt free to come out now and meet with Jesus. They felt free and it, it wouldn't be breaking any of the Jewish laws. And it seems that half the town showed up. If you read Mark 133 in the New Living, it says a huge crowd of people from all over Capernaum gathered outside the door to watch. But if you read it in the NIV, which is a little bit more accurate, it says the whole town gathered at the door. Now, that's kind of what we want here, right? We want the whole town of Dover to gather at the door. And we'd have a seating problem, but I'm okay with that. We want people to be loved and welcomed into God's kingdom here in this church. But think about where Jesus was at this moment. He did all that demon deliverance back at the temple. He comes to Peter's house. He was a mother-in-law. I'm sure he's looking for a Pentecostal nap about now. And all of a sudden, all these people show up at his door. He just had lunch. He's looking for the nap. Maybe I like to watch a little TV. Can I just calm down a little bit? Think about yourself. Sunday night, long church service, dinner's over. What do you want to do? Go to bed. All of a sudden, a crowd of people show up at your doorstep wanting something from you. What do you do? Turn off the lights and hide. Go away. Maybe they'll go away if I don't answer the door. Pretend nobody's home. What did he do? Did he send them away? I gotta tell you, I might send those guys packing. (laughs) Look, come back tomorrow morning. Let me get some sleep. Let me have something to eat. Come back tomorrow morning. But he didn't because he had sympathy on the people and their needs. Verse 34 says, so Jesus healed a great numbers of sick people who had many different kinds of diseases, and he ordered many demons to come out of their victims. Now, the phrasing of the sentence, gathered outside his door, literally means that people kept on lining up. Once that first crowd was gone, the next crowd was gone. It was never ending. They just kept on coming. And just when you think you're done, Jesus is thinking, oh, I'm just about done, another crowd shows up. Jesus had to be beat. But his compassion overruled his tiredness. He cared about the people. Who knows how late he got the bed? If he got the bed. If they started coming at sunset, like it says, that's around six o'clock, six thirty, and he's doing it into the wee hours of the night. Notice the phrasing says, a great number of sick people. Jesus delineates between physical sickness and demon possession. Not all sickness is demonically inspired some physical affliction is but not everyone jesus was able to do both and he tells us there's two different causes for sickness one is demonic and one is just being in the world verse 34 says because they knew who he was he refused to allow the demons to speak and again we said this is the same word muzzled he muzzled them how many of you have a dog you ever put a muzzle on your dog? Sometimes you want to put a muzzle on your dog. I had a dog. I would love to put a muzzle on. Jesus put a muzzle on the demons so they couldn't speak. Now Luke is more specific, and he says this: because they knew he was the Messiah, he stopped them and told them to be silent. Now at that time, people had an idea of who the Messiah was going to be, right? They if you ask the Jews, the Messiah was going to be the guy who came in and conquered Rome. That was the Jews thought of the Messiah. And what Jesus was trying to avoid is he didn't want people to hear about a Messiah and then give credence to the thoughts about who he should be. In other words, people, he, Jesus wanted the people to know the compassion of the Messiah more than the power of the Messiah. I'll give you an example. If you hear some famous, a story about famous people and you hear their lifestyle of how they live in the world and then you meet them personally and they want to be nothing like you, what you heard them to be. How many have experienced that? Maybe at your job. Uh, my boss is terrible, you don't want to meet him and you meet your boss and they're a nice person. Jesus didn't want people to get a preconceived notion of what he was like until they actually met him. That's why he said, don't go telling everybody. Let me get out there and do the stuff first so they can see firsthand what I'm like rather than hearing a bunch of gossip from everybody who's out there. Jesus was trying to avoid the crowds for that reason. Jesus had his own timetable of when he would announce that truth. He didn't want to get out beforehand. When When was the only time that Jesus welcomed adoration? The... Palm Sunday. Up until that point, Jesus didn't want anybody to know. Didn't want to be acknowledged as king. Didn't want any recognition as Messiah. Palm Sunday comes, he wants the recognition. He says, okay, it's now time for that recognition. He did not want it beforehand. That's why he told the people to be silent and the demons to be silent. Verse 35 says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Remember, Long day before, late night, he still gets up early to pray. Jesus had a disciplined prayer life. If Jesus had to pray, don't we have to pray? And he was disciplined about it. And because of his disciplined prayer life, he was able to use and has God's power and authority. Now, we said this before, when Jesus was here, He was 100% man and 100% God, right? But he did not operate in his God position. He operated everything he did, he did as a human under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. Different from walking around as God. So everything he did, it wasn't because he was God, it was because he was a human who had the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit working in him to do those things. And if he wasn't praying and he wasn't spending time with God, he would not have had that power and authority. What's that tell us? Do we want that same power and authority? Then we need to have the same disciplined prayer life that Jesus had. That we really know we can't do anything without him. And, we, and God desperately wants to use his people in a powerful way to minister to other people. That's why we're here. And if he wants us to do that, and the Bible says he's going to equip you to do that, that means we have to spend time praying. I mean, I don't believe it's any coincidence that after our 21 days of prayer and fasting and continuing to pray, and we've met for the you know, Thursday nights, past couple years, that God's beginning to work. And I also don't think it's a coincidence that now, at this moment, when God's really moving, the township wants to take our property. Not a coincidence. We're moving forward, God's moving forward, the enemy's not liking it. What's that tell us we have to do? We have to continue praying and fasting. Not only for the property, which is is fine, it's just property. But we're talking about people's lives. Praying that someone comes to know Christ. We want people to be saved. And the Bible says, and we've prayed it before, it's our scripture. God is long-suffering, not wanting anybody to perish. Is that pretty plain? God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He wants everyone, the Bible says, to repent. He wants everyone to be saved. Now, not everyone will be saved, but God wants them to be saved. And that means we pray for them. And the Bible also says, you pray anything according to my will, and it will be done. God's will is everyone be saved we pray according to God's will that they are saved and they get saved. Now, it may not be when we want it, but I believe that it's going to happen. Now, last week we had a scripture, and I read a scripture about the, the dead bones of Elijah, throwing that guy, the dead guy on the, on the dried up bones and the guy came back to life. You know what that means? One of the meanings to that is your life and your ministry and your prayer life lasts longer than you do. You could be long dead And the prayers you prayed could help somebody else. Your kids or your family members that you're praying for may not come to Christ until after you die. But your prayers are still working there. Your life here matters after you're gone. This guy was brought back to life because Elijah was a righteous guy. Even though he was dead. His life spoke after he was gone. And your life can speak after you're gone. I wrote here, do you want the power of the Holy Spirit? I think we all do. Then we need to get a disciplined devotional life. Verse 36 goes on and says, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. The disciples wondered why he was leaving. There's still people there, why did Jesus leave? In fact, the Bible uses the word, I never noticed this before, that used companions not disciples why would they why would he use that word why would God use that word instead of disciples could it be that these guys weren't really acting like disciples at this moment maybe they thought Jesus would be happy that people were looking for him but he wasn't And the reason was easy and we mentioned it before these people that came did not want to hear Jesus preach they wanted his miracles and healings. That's why he needed to get alone and pray. Because he needed the power of the Holy Spirit to draw them to the cross, not simply to heal their physical bodies. These folks that were trying to get healed, they were a shallow bunch of folks. There comes a time when we, as believers, we have to leave the crowds. Sometimes the crowds, the only things they want are the miracles. But the thing is, we want want miracles in order to validate that God's word is true. We want to share Christ with those who need him. We as a church, when we talk about compassion, we should try to take care and minister to those who are in need of ministry. But we have to make sure that we don't turn ourselves into a place where people come only to have their needs met. In other words, we're not a soup kitchen. They're there. That's a good thing soup kitchens and the mission. They're a good thing, but that's not that's not a church a church's job is to win people to Christ and to disciple believers and It's easy to get drawn off and, and start doing things that are good, but you miss the focus of why we exist Our first and main reason for being is to lead people to Jesus Our first and main reason is not necessarily to meet everyone's needs Jesus left the people and they still had needs. But the reason he did that is because he knew they were only there for the needs, not for the preaching. Jesus is the one who will meet the needs, not us. If someone has a need and they're only there for the need, then they have to trust Jesus for the need, not us. We pray for miracles and healings and signs and wonders. And these are all things that the Bible says we should pray for and we should expect to happen. But they are not the end of everything. They are a means to an end. All these people got healed, but it never says they all got saved because of it. Some did, few number. Many got the healings and they just took off we pray for and believe for miracles as evidence of the reality of Christ. We want people to be drawn in and see that miracles are happening, that there is a God thing happening in Dover Assembly. But we want them to hear the gospel first and then the healing comes second, to validate that what they heard and responded to was true. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted to do, but they were following him strictly for the miracles and the blessings Not not necessarily because they wanted to hear him say anything. Verse 38 says, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Notice he wasn't sent to do miracles. That was not his mission. His mission was to preach the gospel and the miracles got people's attention to listen to the gospel. We don't come here because of the miracles, right? We don't come to church. We don't serve God because of miracles. If we, if we come here and God does a miracle, praise the Lord, right? Man, excited what God's gonna do. If we show up and we have a good church service and God doesn't do a miracle, praise the Lord. He left people who were still clamoring for miracles because he had to go someplace else and preach. He knew those folks weren't going to hear the gospel, so he's going someplace else where they where they would. Verse thirty nine says, "So he traveled through Gal- throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Healings, miracles, and exorcisms have their place, but they're not to take the place of preaching the gospel." Jesus was becoming known as a popular miracle worker. Jesus did not permit or want his popularity to change his mission. How many times do we see preachers that get a huge following, and all of a sudden they get caught up in themselves, and they get all these accolades, and now he's becoming, people go to see him because of who he is rather than what he says. Jesus could have easily just stayed with those who wanted to be healed. But do you want want that kind of popularity? People only hanging around you for what you can do for them. And we all know people like that. Now, most of you know I'm an old rock and roll guy. And of course, a verse came to me from the theologian Dennis DeYoung and Tommy Shaw of Styx. It's a song that says, I have dozens of friends and the fun never ends. That is as long as I'm buying. If people come only for the things that we can do for them and not for the gospel, we're doing a disservice to them. If they only come because of what the miracles that could possibly have and the, mir- and the financial, whatever they need, I don't want to hear the gospel. I don't want to you know, change my life. I just need something in my life to be fixed. Jesus actually walked away from those type of folks. Jesus wants you to come for him first, and then the miracles, because you trust him for the miracles. Verse 40 says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him at his knees. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, we can probably have empathy with Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus knew her or knew of her, related to a friend of Jesus, So yeah, he's going to heal her. But now we have a leper. And in Jewish law, the leper was an outcast, somebody to be avoided. In fact, the leper was supposed to stay outside the camp. Leviticus 13 says, those who suffer from any contagious skin disease, that was leprosy, must tear their clothing and allow their hair to hang loose. Then as they go from place to place, they must cover their mouth and call out unclean, unclean. As long as the disease lasts, they will be ceremonially unclean and must live in isolation outside the camp. Can you imagine having leprosy in these laws? You've got to live by yourself, away from everybody. And if anybody comes near you, you have to scream to get away from me. Now this leper obviously knew that law and he defies it and he comes to Jesus. Jesus. Now, the guy sounds like he knew Jesus could heal him because if you're willing, you can make me clean. It's not if you're able, you can make me clean. So he knew Jesus could do it, but he wasn't sure that Jesus would do it. And how many of us think that thought today? (laughs) We all know Jesus can do miracles. There's no doubt, I don't think in anybody's mind, that Jesus can do anything. But how many of us think, does he want to do something we have to trust that jesus wants to do that how often do we recognize jesus power and authority but we don't recognize his mercy and his compassion sometimes when we pray and jesus doesn't answer right away our instant reaction is to say where are you god We forget about his compassion. We only measure his compassion by what we experience at the moment. 41, verse 41 says, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Again, physical touch. Now in law, he wasn't supposed to touch that guy or even come close to him. How long did this guy live? It doesn't say how old he was but he lived his entire life without any physical interaction. No physical contact. And if anybody got close, he basically had to run away. And all of a sudden, Jesus reaches out and touches him. Man, can you imagine how he felt? Even before he was healed, Jesus touched him. Did the touch heal him? No. He could have said, be healed without touching him? Did the the leper have to touch Jesus to be healed? No. He could have stayed away and yelled that to Jesus. But he came up close enough for physical contact to occur. Jesus reached out his hand. Why does he do that? I believe that Jesus does that because Physical contact between people is powerful. What differentiates married people from roommates? Physical contact. Jesus did it openly to show that he had compassion and love, and love rules over ritual and regulation. The compassion was more important to Jesus than the law. And just like in Peter's mother-in-law, he was healed instantly. Verse 42, instantly the leprosy disappeared disappeared, and the man was healed. He has power over demons, he has power over the weather, and he has power over an, an incurable disease. Verse 43, then Jesus sent him on his way and told him sternly, go right over to the priest and let him examine you. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy so everyone will have proof of your healing. Again, Jesus wants to remain anonymous until his time is ready. He did, not, he did want the people to see the offering to the priest. Why? Because he was going to now be a witness to the priest and a witness to all his buddies that he sees. But as with everybody else, he doesn't pay attention to Jesus. He doesn't, doesn't listen. He goes out and tells everybody. And isn't that, I wrote down, isn't that human nature? Don't tell anybody. What do you first want to do? Tell somebody. Look, I'm not supposed to say anything, but Here's a prayer request. You see a sign that says wet paint. What do you want to do? You want to touch it. We see a sign we're told not to do something, and we instantly want to do it. When you see a speed limit sign, what's the first thing you want to do? Just go a little bit over it, but not enough to get caught. This guy ignored Jesus' request, and what happened? Verse 45 says, As a result of him spilling the beans, such crowds soon gathered around Jesus, so he couldn't enter a town anywhere publicly. He had to stay out of the secluded places, and people from everywhere came to him there. Whenever we disobey God, the good news of Jesus will always be hindered. I'm, thought, I'm sure this guy thought he was doing Jesus a favor. Hey, look, I'm going to tell people what he did to me. It sounds logical. It's what, you know, it, it appears, you know, if I do this for God, it's gonna, you know, help God out. But what seems logical to us sometimes is in direct defiance to what God asks us to do. Jesus wanted to stay focused on the gospel, not the healings. They, they would come one by one. He wanted to focus on one by one ministry. But people still found out about him and came to him for healing, Not salvation. Let me close with this question or a thought. Why do you come to church, why do you serve the Lord? Do you come to serve the Lord or you come to church because you want him to answer something and do something for you? Do you come for answered prayer? Do you come for the miracles, do you come for the healing? Or do you come because you wanna worship the Lord and you wanna trust him and you wanna serve him and you wanna obey him? If God does nothing else for you in this physical life, is that enough? Because I'm going to tell you what happens. If you come for the miracles, they're not going to happen. If you come to serve the Lord, all of this stuff happens. If you come to worship God and to hear his word and to enter in, God will do the miracle. You don't have to ask for it, God will do it. If you're here for the miracles, you're gonna walk out exactly the same way as you walked in. And if you come to church, I don't think anybody comes to church because they wanna leave the same way they came. They wanna worship God and they wanna receive whatever God has for them at that moment. Maybe it's a tremendous miracle. Maybe it's a healing. Maybe it's a verse that you needed to hear. Maybe someone talked to you between Sunday school and church and prayed with you and talked to you and that blessed you. That's why church... Coming to church is so important. And I think I'm going to beat this horse for a while. You can't get the same thing at home that you can get in a church fellowship. You can watch TV. In what? Brother Don, he said to me, he goes, hey, I just watched Charles Stanley this morning. Now I'm going to listen to you. Dude, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. I appreciate that. You can listen to great preachers all day long. Be careful who you listen to. It's not the same as being in God's house fellowshipping with other believers. Because God can work in a crowd in here that he can never do you sitting on your chair watching in a TV. The Holy Spirit fills, if you look at Acts, the Holy Spirit filled the room before the people were filled. I believe the Holy Spirit can fill this room before he fills us. And so that means we walk in, the Holy Spirit's already here, ready to do whatever he wants to do. And there's power in fellowship. There's a reason that the book of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And that only, that doesn't only apply to church, it applies to other fellowship things with other Christians outside of church. We had a membership class yesterday. Good time. And I had a women's meeting yesterday. Great time. We had a men's pinball night at Mark's house. Packed the place out. Everybody had a good time. You fellowship with other believers and you minister in that setting as well. You can get blessed in that type of setting with other Christians that you may not get in any particular Sunday service. But God uses all of those gatherings together to bless you, to meet your needs, to do what he wants to do in your life. The Bible says that when the apostles got together, they broke bread and fellowshiped. So that means, as we all know, Christians eat. They fellowshiped around a meal. We fellowshiped on Thursday around 19 pizzas. And we ate them all. Hey, there's starving people in China, man. We can't have that. So we ate all the pizzas. But the point is, you can't be a a Lone Ranger Christian. You can't sit at home and expect God to do things in your life when you have the ability to be in the fellowship. We want God to change us. We want God to be or make us who he knows we can be. If you're raising little kids, you see their potential. You see what they can be as they get older. God sees what we can be as we mature. We may not see it, but God sees it. And God will bring us along to get to the point where he knows we can be. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment and close in prayer? You know, we're thankful that we're able to gather together without fear of reprisal, without fear of anything, at least for now. A lot of other countries would love to have the freedom we have. A lot of other Christians in countries would love to have that freedom. And sometimes with freedom, we, we take it for granted. And we don't exercise it as much as we should. And there's a saying that says, you, know, you don't know what you have until it's gone. Should there come a point where we aren't able to fellowship together, we will wish that we could. That's why it's important that we use the freedom that God has allowed us to have right now to fellowship together, to do everything that other Christians in other countries would love to do. And we want to thank God for that ability because God can work and do great things when we gather together. Now maybe you're here this morning, you've never really... You don't know what it's like to be born again. You've heard that phrase. Maybe you've been in church all your life and you've heard it and you're not really sure what that means. But you've seen it in evidence in other people's lives. And the peace and the joy that someone else you know they have, you kind of want. The Bible says that's the exact reason that you're looking at that person because we're supposed to be a sweet offering. When people look at us, they should see Jesus. So if you're here and you're here because either someone invited you or you just walked in the door, maybe you've been here a number of years, but you've never really asked Christ to come in and forgive you of your sins, I'll tell you that church doesn't save you. This church can't save you. We can show you how to be saved. We can introduce you to Jesus, but we can't do that. You have to do that. The Bible says we are all, we are all sinners. And at one time in the future when we die, we will be judged for those sins. And one of two things can happen. Either we think we're good enough and God's going to judge us according to that standard and we're going to fail because we're all sinners. Or God's going to look at us and he's going to see Jesus who is perfect, who had no sin, and he's going to stand up and say, yeah, I took their punishment for them already on the cross. They're good. And you're going to go to heaven. But there has to come a point in your life where you admit that you're a sinner and you admit that everything I've done up to now is, is sinful, but God gave me a way out. The Bible says the wage of the sin is death. But the Bible also says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And the Bible also says as many as receive him, not everybody is gonna receive him. The Bible says as many as receive him Those are the people he gave the authority or the right to be called God's kids. So you're not God's kid until you accept Jesus. And the Bible says it's a free gift. He lays it out for you. He says, here it is. I did this for you. You know, it's easy to think that Jesus did it for everybody, and he did. But more importantly, if you were the only person that needed to be saved, Jesus would still have done it. So in effect, Jesus died specifically and only for you. Hallelujah. And the Bible says he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. If you're here, you're hearing this message and Jesus is drawing you. If you feel like you're thinking about God, it's because God's making you think about him. He's drawing you in so that you're able to make a choice on your own. He gives you free will, he gives you the ability to choose. You can choose to love Jesus and accept his forgiveness, or you can choose not to. God doesn't make that choice for you. He gives you every opportunity to make the right choice, but he doesn't do it for you. So if you're here and you're feeling that tug, you're feeling that that thoughts in your mind about this thing about God, you're not sure about it, but you want to be sure, you want to know for certain that you have a relationship with God and that God is there to meet your needs during the day, throughout the life, And then when this life is over, you're going to be with him in paradise. If you want assurance of that, because the Bible says these things are written that you may know, not think, not doubt, not sure, that you may know you have eternal life. And if you don't know for certain that you have eternal life, then the Bible says that God is drawing you. The Bible says today's the day of salvation, not next week, not next Sunday, not Wednesday, today. Because nobody has a guarantee of tomorrow. The Bible says he is drawing you right now for you to make that choice. And if you're here and you want to make that choice, you want to make that decision to serve Christ, I want you to raise your hand up high because we're going to pray with you. If you're here with us on Wednesday night, we've been talking about an example of three chairs. The first chair is a person who's committed to Christ their entire life. The second chair is someone who is saved, but they're not, they're not sure that their life has taken a turn. And maybe that's you. Maybe you were active in a church at one point, and you were loving Jesus at one point, but now life has gotten in the way, and things have happened, and you're not so much involved anymore, and you really haven't read or prayed your Bible a lot. And, but you want to get back. You want to get back to the first chair. The Bible says it's never too late to do that. You always have a second, third, fourth, fifth chance to do that. If Jesus told us that we're to forgive others 70 times seven, how many more times do you think God's willing to forgive you and bring you back into the fold? That's you. And you know if that's you or not. You know where you are in your relationship to the Lord. Others may not, but you know. You're not here by accident. You're here because God directed you to be here because he wants to do something in your life. So if that's you, and you want to get out of the rut of where you are into the highway of serving God and seeing his blessings every day, that's why you're here. And I want you to raise your hand because we're going to pray for you as well. Father, we do humble ourselves before you. And we thank you for your grace and your sympathy in us. Your word tells us you are touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You know how we feel. You have sympathy in our lives. If things are going wrong, you sympathize with us. You know what it is we're going through. You're not a God who's a way out there who doesn't understand. Your word tells us that you truly understand whatever it is in our life that we're going through. And whatever that is, we can freely come to you and talk to you about it and ask you to work in our lives. And I'm sure that everyone in here has something in their life they're dealing with that you need God to work. So Lord, we do pray that you administer and meet every need in this place. And those that are watching. Let us walk out transformed. And let us not leave what you're doing here here. Take it with us. We're going to take you, Jesus, with us when we leave. We will leave an empty building but we will take Jesus with us. And allow us to have that relationship every day and allow us to see the power of God working in our lives and around our lives every day. So Lord, I commit each person to you. Allow them to experience, as your word says, your manifold blessings. And help us to understand that they are your blessings to us. It's not our own doing, it's because Your word says every good and perfect gift comes from you. So if anything's good in our life, Father, we know that it's from you. And we want to show our appreciation by living our life to thank you and to please you. So Lord, I commit every person here to that end in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday and next Sunday.